Those who have no pain can imagine those who suffer. Those at the center can imagine what it is to be outside. The strong can imagine what it is to be weak. Illuminated lives can imagine the dark. Poets in their twilight can imagine the borders of stellar fire. We strangers can imagine the familiar heart of strangers. Cynthia Ozick Nadine Pined is a graduate of Harvard, Oxford as a Rhodes Scholar, Indiana University, and the Northwest Institute of Literary Arts. Her recent publications include Haiti Noir and An Invisible Geography, which can be found through Finishing Line Press. Welcome to The Poet's Weave. I'm Romaine Rubinus-Dorsey. I see how they look just at each other, not at the camera. She, in a cinched waist dress, daisy trim hem, dreams of being Josephine to a conqueror, leans one small hand on the car and laces the other behind his back. He is so lean in his skinny tie, a soccer star on the national team, the one who scored against Pele, so hungry for whatever lies hidden in her convent girl's smile. They meet after class in sidewalk cafes, dance in the bal musette and basement clubs, in their Paris of glamorous grit. When flowers and champagne leave him broke, she hands him her scholarship money so he won't starve. I see where this is heading. I want to stop them and say, Wait, are you sure this spell will last? When you can't go home again, uprooted, adrift, on icy sidewalks in the stranger's land. You'll lose count of business trips, dry goodbyes. Closets will fill with unopened boxes of shoes. The distance between you will stretch, like the shadows on a winter afternoon. But it's a sunny day in May, with only two people in the world ready to stake it all for me. And I want to live. In your gaze on a Paris sidewalk, I want to be born. Your only witness that day stands mute like me, behind you, unseen, a cold steel sign, circle and slanted line. That universal message, don't. Hope veils the eyes to map a half-known world. Provenance. Where are you from, he asks, and hands me a wine glass. Where am I from? Perhaps the place of my birth, though all I remember are the scarlet plumes of Bastille Day parades, or that town of waist-high snow, where Peter with the dime-sized freckles calls me nigger, and they ask at school if we stick pins in dolls. It would be good to know where to scatter my ashes, where the troubadour dances two-step meringue with cassava honey hips, and the market woman bears a world on her head, seasons wisdom with proverb, where the ocean roars like a womb, a grave of teeth and bone, and the whirl of conch shells blown by runaway slaves called us to battle. 
where lucky ones hid in the rings of the pine, where the fire of dead stars ride time's current, night inside light where the black sun glows. Nowhere you'd know, I say, looking down at my glass and into the empty air. Bright Hill, 1989 The old women in headscarves flocked around me, pressing photos of their sons into my hands. Mass began. The gilt curtain was parted. She had a long, oval face, aquiline nose and squinty eyes, and scars on both cheeks. The child in her arms had a crown like hers, dotted with little angels. She was the color of the back of my hand. They invited me to lunch in the seminary. Over chewy black bread and cucumber soup, the seminarians said this was the only way they could travel, to escape the politics choking their country. I asked them why the Madonna was black, not knowing the miracle of how she survived, the fire when everything else burned, or the spiteful soldier who slashed her cheeks when he couldn't steal her away. No, no, said Adam, a young one. It's because black is beautiful. We all laughed, but something inside me grew warm, so I drank more thick, sweet wine to let this happiness drench me. Under Adam's umbrella, we said our goodbyes. I kissed his cheek, and he blushed, his bare feet already streaked with mud. You've been listening to the poetry of Nadine Paned on The Poet's Weave. I'm Romaine Rubinus-Dorsey. Well, your, your, your bio is meandering, and it seems like your, your work meanders quite a bit, too. It does, because the best travel is meandering. I, I believe that, you know, the best travel is off the path, and you find the best experiences through luck, uh, sometimes, you know, through chance encounters. And for me, the best experiences in travel have been done that way. Um, is, that, is that kind of how you got a, a structure for your book? Um, for my book, I actually tried to structure it. I tried to structure it in two ways. One is as if the poem were memoir. So they begin, the book actually begins with the poem of myself imagining myself before being born. Um, but also geographically, I tried to do it in terms of the places that have meant something to me, whether those places are real or imagined. And that gave me a narrative structure. Um, And the idea of the invisible geography is just the sense that the landscapes we've encountered, whether real or imaginary, make up who we are and make up how we see the world. And give me a little bit more about your background and where you grew up. I grew up largely in Canada and the U.S. I was born in Paris. My parents were scholarship students there, and they were born and raised in Haiti. Um, When Duvalier became president for life, um, there was a lot of political turmoil, a lot of arrests and assassinations. Um, And most of the middle class, including a lot of the intellectuals, 
left the country because they were afraid of being arrested or killed. There were people in my own family who were um, both. And my parents in France decided to go to Canada, which provided them with a safe place to raise us. And from Canada, we moved to the United States, to the East Coast, Connecticut, and um, New England. So I learned English in Ontario and came to the U.S. with a Canadian accent, which I was teased quite a bit about. Um, and your, your poetry, you have such a connection to Haiti. Yes. And I was wondering how that, how that was cultivated as you were growing up. Yes, it was growing up, I really view it as growing up bicultural because in the house and with my family, Haitian culture was all around me. We were immersed in it. Um, my parents spoke Creole with each other, so I grew up with an understanding of it. Even though when I try to speak it, my mother laughs at my accent because it's not very good. But I understand it. I can translate um, from it. So I think that's called a passive understanding but also Haitian culture in every other way. They made sure that we read Haitian history, that we understood um, Haiti's unique place in the world as the first black independent republic. They wanted us to feel pride in our Haitian heritage, and we did. And um, how often have you had a chance to go down to We visited your- much more when I was younger. So as a family, we'd, we'd visit relatives in Haiti during summers, um, And usually we'd say two or three weeks in the summer. And it was always a very jarring experience because going from New England, if you want, from a very developed area to Haiti really makes you open your eyes and appreciate the things that you have in the U.S. But seeing the relatives, seeing family there, made me feel welcomed, made me feel at home. So it was, you know, there was a dichotomy, the sense of it not really being home for me, but this sense that I did belong there. Um, someone once said, you know, you're, you're not exactly Haitian, you're sort of marginal, but you're still Haitian. And I think that that's where I've written a lot of my poetry, from the sense of being in the margins being on the outside looking in. And that, that seems to tie in with the idea of kind of wandering or meandering. Yes, um, absolutely. What, what other areas and um, experiences uh, are prominent in the book? I think the other um, places, the, the book travels from Haiti, France, Poland, um, Canada, You know, those are some of the places that have left an imprint on me. And as I said, it isn't necessarily how long you've spent in a place that determines the impact it'll have on you. Um, A person can spend a week in a place, but because the emotional experiences are so powerful, that place will occupy more space in their poetic memory than the place they've lived for years and years. So... It depends on your development as a person when you encountered that place and what impact it had on you at that time. So I think that's what I'm trying to explore in these poems. So as you were putting your work together for this Mm -hmm. publication, did you discover any surprises or any revelations? 
I think each poem was a surprise. <laughs> the, the greatest surprise was that I was writing poetry because I really had not written any poetry for 25 years. In high school, I'd won a scholastic prize for my poetry, but a poetry teacher um, in college said that I should stick to prose. So <laughs> that, for some reason, um, made me avoid writing poetry. I can't blame that that teacher, but I took in those words. But after the earthquake, my professor at the Whidbey Writers' Workshop, the poet David Wagner, um, advised me to try to write some poetry, to try to deal with the frustration and anger and sadness that I felt. And that's when the first poem called The Nameless, which I read on your previous um, show, that first poem came. And that poem is a part of this collection. So this collection is entitled An Invisible Geography, and it's yes. coming out from Finishing Line Press. That's right. It's coming out uh, September 1st, and um, pre-orders are available from now until July 4th. And as I said, I am delighted and surprised to, to be writing it and to see it in print. Well, congratulations and thanks for coming in. Thank you.